unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. Um, we've got a super special guest today. Um, he has a decade-wide body of independent multimedia creative work as an artist, musician, and sound designer since 2006, including a music collective called ISM, which he later adopted as a personal brand. His productions led to broader collaborations with a variety of teams, partners, and clients. This path marked a shift in 2019 when he established ISM Arts and Culture Corporation as an end-to-end creative agency focusing on cross-stakeholder social innovation initiatives with governments, communities, companies, and research institutions at the local and global level. He has since worked with organizations like TED and Triumph, Canada's Particle Accelerator Center. Please join me in welcoming Scott Mallory Jr., How's it going, Scott? Hey there. Doing pretty well. How about you? I'm good. Uh, You ready for 20 questions? I sure am. Let's go for it. Okay, here we go. Number one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? Well, you already mentioned one of them. You mentioned Triumph. Uh, Once again, Canada's Particle Accelerator Center. Um, That is in, uh, it's situated on UBC. It's not part of UBC, but Um, What happens there is that in some of the biggest machines ever built, um, definitely in Canada, probably in the world, um, they speed up subatomic particles um, to close to the speed of light, smash them into targets, and then look at the smaller particles that come out of them or whatever comes out of them uh, once that happens. And they're able to harness that and study that and figure out what's going on with dark matter. They're able to simulate the explosions that happen inside of stars, among many other things. Um, and and harness that knowledge to create uh, new innovations and technologies, whether it's medical treatments or other interesting technologies. So I work on science communication there uh, is what we call it more and more um, to figure out interesting ways to communicate this to the public, attract interesting audiences, attract interesting stakeholders to this innovation that's happening, attract uh, potentially the next generation of innovators who are working on this stuff. and there's a creative twist to it. It is under arts and culture. Uh, we consider it to be, so we do things like, you know, applying design thinking, we're using interesting modernized technologies like LIDAR scanning to create immersive 3D experiences um, and the like. So that's one of my roles. Uh, another is at Emily Carr University where I'm faculty. Um, I teach in the film and animation area. So pretty much what I teach there is anything fake that you see happening in the movies that's created digitally. I teach people how to create that um, with sort of complicated looking software. Um, another role I have is with something called BIPOC Foundation. So there I'm director of strategy design and programs acceleration. Um, BIPOC Foundation is, is, was established a while ago, but it's, it's, um, it's relaunched uh, in February uh, under a federal mandate. There's a federal investment, multi-million dollar investment in economic development um, in Western Canada, uh, specifically for Black-led early stage businesses. Um, That's the fastest growing community in Western Canada, it's known to be, uh, and they need to participate in the economy. Um, And of course, there's a lot of social 
uh, motivations uh, around that. Um, and so I was instrumental in putting together that foundation um, and, and operating it. And largely within the foundation, I run their, um, I built and run their flagship program, which is an accelerator for startups, cohorts of 10 at a time um, in any sector. And uh, this bleeds into my other role as director of ISM Arts and Culture, which you also mentioned. Uh, so my company sort of operates as a partner, operates the accelerator program. So overall, we have a target to help advance close to 200 businesses uh, within the next couple of years. Um, ISM, more on that, that's the sort of thing we do. We, we sort of take early stage ideas um, or businesses end to end on a new concept or idea. Um, so it could be a mature organization, you know, a government or something in academia or, or, or something else, community group, um, or it could be a totally new startup um, who's trying to build an MVP. And so we, we, we go end to end, starting with UX research, um, service design into business development. Um, we do a little bit of hands-on with the 2D and 3D kind of like design, definitely the design thinking, a little bit of the hands-on work, but we don't want to become their team. Um, and then, you know, once the project or the product is ready for, for piloting, we build strategic partners around that project. Um, so we design, so we do ecosystem building around the project so that it can pilot um, and ship. And uh, that's, then we, we could, we, we do become a scale partner in some ways, but hopefully we can make that project or that business independent at that point. Um, and finally, the other role that I have is as an ESL teacher, probably my favorite job. Um, so teaching English as a second language for adults um, from all walks from around 100 countries. Um, it's, it's one of the most interesting environments uh, to be in. Everyone there to learn a language for, for a different reason, uh, whether it's just passing a test to get through university or to immigrate or to, to pursue a certain kind of a career. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. That's awesome. You know, uh, I'm not a science guy, but when I hear the word particle accelerator, I get tingles. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a exciting word. Um, just a kind of backgrounder for the audience. Uh, you know, a few days ago, Scott and I were sitting at my neighborhood coffee shop and I was trying to wrangle him onto the pro onto the podcast. And, um, you know, I feel really lucky that he's here today. So, uh, so I hope you do too. Um, number two, yeah. Number two, what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? Piece of knowledge. That's, that's interesting. If, if something is known, chances are it's, it's out there uh, and has spread far and wide. Mm -hmm. um, but the way I'd interpret that and answer that is, is maybe um, the way that I empathize with the people or the partners that I work with or the people that I deliver for, I feel like there's a, a unique way, um, far from the name of this podcast, um, of me. There's definitely a, a thing that I know that I do and I know how I do it and I don't think I can explain it. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm the only one who, who does it in, in quite that way. So I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd say that. But, but also, since we're using kind of like modern, uh, kind of like, you know, immersive 3D and all this kind of stuff and mixed reality and these different technologies that haven't been figured out yet, all of which don't really work the way that we would like them to yet because they're, they're still new and moving fast. Um, I think my, in, in, the, in the environments that I'm, that I'm working in, I think I have a real edge with just overall knowledge of spatial computing and 
how to figure out how to use those kinds of things. Um, uh, whereas, you know, I find that other practitioners are kind of like more, really more specialized and focused. Um, just some specific examples, like I have, you know, I can think in a, in a really deeply technical way about color, like in, in different ways or, or color and light and, and like composition and cinematics. And, you know, I just have all of this interesting vocabulary by going, by having taken the visual effects for film route um, and learn those, those techniques early on. That's great. You know, when this podcast started as unique ways, it was really kind of started around this idea that everybody has their own angle and their own kind of um, thing that they can do that no one else can do their kind of superpower. And everybody kind of knows what their own is. Um, and uh, I just needed a platform where people could share it. Um, it's super exciting to hear yours for sure. Um, number three is why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? <laughs> Well, uh, nobody does just one thing anymore, do they? Um, it's and it's so easy to learn new things and to you know keep adding to your toolkit. Um, why these things? I think I think I, I named probably five things. Um, why those things? I think what what links them together is creativity. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, um, no matter what it is, um, and I think that's been fully realized by me going into the more of the business world because you wouldn't normally think of business as a creative field, but I'm still applying creativity in it. Same with the ESL and like teaching a language, um, the process of, you know, forming a lesson for a specific group of people and improvising during that lesson, you know, in a really student-centered environment where you're supposed to drive collaboration and not just stand there and lecture about things. Mm. Um, all of that is at the core, it is creativity. And that, that's, that is the thing that, yeah, any, anything that has creativity, I'm in. You know, obviously, I can really relate to that. Um, creativity is such a big part of my life. But like, um, you know, at a certain point, you, as a as a creative, I wanted to reach people that weren't necessarily creative. You know, a broader public and different communities. And it sounds like you're on a similar journey in that way. Yeah, and uh, and another thing I keep talking about is creative problem solving. Um, yeah, if it's not kind of like tangibly creative in a way that you can see right away it's like some people are solving really big and really interesting problems and it, it requires creativity even if you're you know a physicist mm -hmm. that's interesting okay number four what does your future look like that's a very interesting question because well i don't know but i like thinking about you know we're living longer and longer when i was you know four years old or something i thought i was going to be like 65 <laughs> now it looks like I'm going to be like 120. Um, and, you know, some of the reading that I'm doing, it's highlighted that, you know, people are, you know, if you're living that long, you're going to have to have a way bigger budget to like keep yourself alive that <laughs> long or to maintain your lifestyle for like double the amount of time that you thought. Um, you know, you're going to have to have multiple careers, which is, it looks like that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it. I'm not sort of doing it in five-year phases. I'm sort of doing it all at once and they all have their own timelines. Mm -hmm. But I see myself, I mean, I've always kind of like evolved with the technology that was there. I started with drawing and painting and then I ended up with kind of like, I started wanting that to move and getting into the tools that were available for animation. Some of, some of, some of those tools were only friendly for like programmers. Uh, like for doing sound driven animation, but I kind of 
evolved into that um and then mixed reality and then you know all these sort of all these outlets a music studio um so i i think wherever technology is going that's probably where i'm going every few years um not to say that i'm all about technology i think i'm, I'm still intrigued by the potential of business and different kind of like startup ecosystems i might do a lot more of that than i expected um that's great. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> no, I I get you. Um, you know, the idea of living to be a hundred and twenty is super interesting. I recently saw a post come through my social media talking about tying NFTs to physical objects, and this bagel shop was getting people to buy five thousand dollars worth of bagels ahead of time, and with that, <laughs> they get an NFT. You know. Maybe, okay. maybe it's a good idea. If you're going to live to be a 120, maybe you, you need $5,000 worth of I'm gonna Yeah, I'm going to need more bagels. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, you think about stuff like, you know, if you have a, a child, you know, and it's middle class in the U.S., you know, it, the cost, just the hard cost of that is like a quarter million dollars um, or more. And so you start, when, uh, as soon as I realize I'm going to be over 100, it's going to be like, oh crap okay so where am i going to get a half million dollars you know right now um i mean you know it, it doesn't work like that you don't just like get it and hold on to it and then use it it's sort of like an ongoing thing but it's still uh, a little bit daunting to uh to be thinking that far ahead that's super interesting I, we, we haven't had a guest say say how old they'll live until so that's that's great um number five and this is a i think a unique question for to this podcast it's uh, let's talk about location how does the notion of place play into what you do this is a uh, a bizarre and fascinating question and entertaining because i've heard you talk about that topic a little bit um uh Hmm. So where I am right now, I mean, I'm based in Canada, um, in Vancouver, but I'm from the U.S. and that's home, home. All my family's there. I have one uh, second cousin here who's a lot older than me. He had a son who's, who's gone elsewhere for, for school and for work. Um, but I never, the interesting thing about this is that I never said, I'm going to move to Vancouver. I've been here officially like seven years or something like that. And I was here three years before that. The reason I came here was to study visual effects for film um, and to learn sound driven animation because this is the only place it was being taught. That's how sort of new and unpopular it was. Um, it was like, I mean, I was trying to learn that software and I called the company like, how do I learn this software? I can't, where am I supposed to go? Because I can't find anything. I said, I found this one place in Vancouver. Um, how's that as an option? And then they were like, well, that's a great option because that's your only option right now, like on the planet. So I was like, okay, I'm going. I didn't even look at a picture of Vancouver and I went because um, I knew I wanted, I wanted and needed to learn that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's proven to be true. But so that's why I came here. And then I kept finding opportunities here. My network starts swirling around. I love the location. I just wanted to kind of like visit in chunks of time. I had a really interesting lifestyle of being able to be home three months out of the year, like in the US and then be somewhere around the world, including here, like for the rest of the year go home and do like you know crank out some work in the studio and stuff like that but i never said i moved here and i never decided to do that um i went you wouldn't believe how long i went without like a real cell phone plan um at the rates i was paying but 
I think the reason I'm comfortable being here, <laughs> part of what makes me comfortable staying here is that in my head, I never said, like, I'm not going back home or else I wouldn't have been able to live with it. It's a decision I wouldn't have been able to make. Um, but it's just a circumstance that unfolded. Um, and at one point, my mom was like, did you move? And you didn't ask me first. <laughs> I was like, no, it's just like every four months, something happens. And I stay here because of that. And it's like every, basically every, I don't know, I feel like everything kind of works semester based since I'm, you know, rooted in academia in a lot of ways. Um, so it's like every time when it's October, I start thinking about, okay, what's going to happen in January, I might get out of here. And then I don't because something happened. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start thinking about April and May because, you know, something might stop happening here and start happening somewhere else. I might get out of here. And I just always end up here. Um, and that's cool. I like that answer. Um, number six, if you had to start from scratch, what advice would you give your former younger self? That's easy. Um, I say this all the time. I would tell myself to go to Korea and go to film school in Korea <laughs> um, and watch some Korean films. Uh, that's, that's what I would have done. I used to love filmmaking in itself. Um, at the time that I was getting more and more creative, I think filmmaking was probably the dominant medium and most complex slash, and at the same time, kind of accessible like medium and field to get into. Um, I don't know if you remember around probably 2008, seven-ish, six-ish, where it's kind of hard to like get a camera or figure out what HD really means. Hmm. Um, it wasn't sort of throw whatever you want on YouTube yet. Um, and so to me, that was the highest, the high point of like how creative you can get with bringing together storytelling hmm. and sound and color and everything you want to put into a piece of creative work. Hmm. Um, but so where was I going with that? Can you remind me? <laughs> um, your former younger self, you would right, 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 right. So yeah, yeah, I was getting back to yeah, Korean film. So yeah, so that was um, that was like the ultimate form of creativity that I could identify at the time, um, and I think it still would have been worthwhile uh, and to exist in that culture i know that there's opportunities to go to like there's interesting opportunities for you know someone like me to go to school over there i've been there like five times mm -hmm. um i love the food i love the the culture and everything and the films are like if i was going to make a film it would be something like that the more creative ones um less less the like mainstream but yeah well i like that and in part that triggers a, a thought because i googled you and uh the results said that you're a filmmaker um, so that that's a very fitting answer in that way. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, number seven, what's a day in your life like? That's a that's a, a chaotic, uh, crazy question. Um, I tell you what, I can't do the same thing every day for more than three months. I learned that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's not possible. My calendar is different every single week. Um, and I don't know the, I don't, I don't understand like thresholds and I don't have a sense of scale. Like there'll be 17 meetings in there and someone might say, oh, that's a lot of meetings. I'm like, oh, oh it is. I don't even know what a lot of meetings is, uh, in a way. So like, I don't know, but then there's these, I, I kind of flow across the calendar. There'll just be a big empty space, like wherever I felt like 
keeping it empty. Um, so there's no, <laughs> the day in the life is looking at that image of the, of the calendar. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I'm in a really privileged, um, kind of like spoiled moment in time right now where I can create my own schedule as I go uh, day by day. I can work all night, sort of wake up anytime. It's, I can, whenever I get creative, that's when I do my work. Um, the meetings are just about that work. Um, it's, a, it's a really, it's a natural flow. I'm also very calendar oriented and I know that feeling of like wanting to keep a space empty and, and not being sure why, but just kind of knowing that you need to do that. Yeah, I can get, I can get more, a little more specific though, like uh, so maybe not the, the, the subject of what's going on that day, but you know, the way I work sometimes is like, okay, what I just explained in the broader view of the calendar, it's the same way within the day. So um, in, in certain ways, so like it could be that I worked on something really hard for five minutes and then I feel like standing up and sort of getting something to drink and giving somebody a call who I just thought of and then go back to that work on that project. And then maybe two minutes into that, I feel like switching to a different project and I'll have, you know, a few different tabs open of things I'm working on. Maybe I type a sentence, give somebody a, a to-do on one project and then switch to the other project, depending on where my head is at that moment. Um, so and maybe that's part of my uh, sort of self-optimization, self-regulation. Like I don't do things that I don't feel like doing, so I don't burn out doing them. Um, and it helps me stay effective, I think, when you're able to uh, switch back and forth like that. I think that's actually super inspiring for our audience. Um, number eight, lifelong learning is a popular topic these days. How do you stay up to date? Um in the I mean a lot of it is passive but and like you know in the networks that I move around in you know things I just come across things but you know there's a few like uh, really rapid tech publications you know what this company is thinking today and what they sort of started thinking change their mind tomorrow sometimes I follow that um, I follow it at that level um, sometimes there's things that I look at because it, it intrigues me because I didn't think I was interested in it. And, you know, if it's of today, um, then I'll take a look at it um, just for that reason in itself um, that, wow, I never encountered that before. Um, attending conferences like TED, especially uh, looking at 90 talks, <laughs> close to 90 talks uh, in a week, uh, getting to see them sort of before they get released. Um, and have the, and have conversations about those things we got inspired by that week. I love the TED conference. Um, um, and I, I do research. I do a lot of research on the organizations that I'm working with and that I want to work with. And that leads me to other research about that field in general um, to understand their context um, and how we could work with them. Like I look, you know, deeply into the people and you know the different the missions of those organizations, and try to figure out how those people think, and why, and when, and how they work, uh, just to get any kind of knowledge I can. And in doing that, I come across all kinds of stuff about industry, about culture. Uh, yeah, that's my short answer. You know, I I've said this before, but I get a physical copy of the London Review of Books sent to me, and uh, 
And man, getting that tactile, you know, newspaper size um, thing, you know, really, really shapes your life in a certain way. I don't know how newspapers died out. It doesn't really make sense. Um, number nine, what tools do you use? Are you digital? Or are you analog? I'm mostly digital unless I'm teaching English. Um, yeah, every all the technology I'm using is yeah, it's all digital technology that I'm using to do everything. Uh, but when I teach English, I mean that's getting more and more digital. I mean you learn on a whiteboard, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of you have to mix in like kinesthetic learning, so you need like things that people can touch. But um, there there's like interesting exercises that I'll do like I'll have them have the students sort of take a, a piece of paper tear it up and fold it up and tear it into squares and have them write something on the squares and then we use those sort of vocab words to, to have mixers and things you can go around the classroom and talk about them like so I go super analog with like pieces of paper and pencil <laughs> uh, sometimes these days in, the, in those classes sometimes I'm like wow I haven't used a pencil in a long time um, uh, but I like the whiteboard too for for speed sometimes yeah it's super weird a couple of times recently i was looking for a pen and i don't have pens anymore i don't have pens i'm so digital inside i have cups full of them i just don't use them no, uh, they're all brand new but um but yeah these days like i'm all like lidar scanners uh vr headsets um uh, trying to keep up with all that stuff just got a hollow lens Okay, halfway there, number 10. How do you deal with work-life balance? That's an interesting question. It's uh, by synthesizing the two. So my grandfather used to always say like, cause uh, you know, I used to spend most of my time on music, um, sort of learning and recording sort of a dozen instruments and things, spending like a dozen hours, like in the studio at a time. I was, I spent so much time in the studio that like when I ate dinner, I would go, get a bite, like cut a piece of chicken and take a bite and be chewing and go back into the studio and be playing while I'm chewing. And then when I finish the bite, then I go back and get another bite, come back and play while I'm chewing because I couldn't let it go. And my grandfather said, um, he's like, those things that you do when you know, you're staying up all night and all this kind of stuff and nobody even asks you to do that, that's the stuff you need to be doing like, with your life and I'll support you. And um, I appreciated that, um, that comment. He said it more, more than once. But ultimately, the uh, people do ask me like, oh, well, what do you do like for yourself? And I'm like, well, these are my hobbies. I just managed to somehow turn them into my work too. You know, I love the stuff that I'm doing. It's not, it's not work. Um, and that's the other thing my grandfather used to say. He said, if you love what you're doing, it's not work. Great answer. Um, number 11, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? This might go back to the other question about film. I think I would be a filmmaker in Korea or like just involved in those productions somehow. Mm -hmm. um, obviously the language would be a challenge, but I, I might be doing that. I might be doing that. Um, I'd like, I would have, I wished I had more time to study uh, psychology. I would have liked to become a psychologist, uh, but I realized it was gonna take forever. That's it. That's one of the only reasons I didn't do it. Interesting. Um, 12, what would you not like to do, like career-wise? Not like to do? Uh, going back again, like I'm, I can't sit there like on a time 
sort of thing. Um, and he just don't make me sit there for hours in one spot. I can't do that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the closest I came to that was, uh, so I ended up, so if you remember, I, I mentioned that I called that software company to say, how can I learn this stuff? Mm -hmm. So my first job ended up being working at that company, prototyping sort mm -hmm. of the next generation of those of 3D simulation tools. Um, that's kind of a desk situation, but it was so innovative in there. And it's a, rel a relatively small company and you can kind of like, you know, there's flexibility to, to, to be creative about proposing the ways your project could go um, and exploring the different things you want to learn and seeing if that still makes sense with what they're trying to accomplish, you know, across their technical and marketing teams and stuff like that. Um, and then you start to enjoy it. And I ended up going, I ended up spending 10 hours at work. I ended up going in there on the weekends, you know, because mm -hmm. that, that environment was inspiring, but that's a rare case and nothing that good lasts that long anyway. You know, it's not, it's not realistic. Uh, but yeah at the coffee shop scott and i were talking about prototyping how he was involved in prototyping and how i'm involved in prototyping and uh, how uh, how that kind of works which is pretty complicated actually um number 13 what's your favorite word quote or sentence <laughs> favorite oh okay 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 so um my grandfather's going to be a recurring theme here he always said, uh, he would say at certain times, he'd be like, hey, man, like we'd, we'd be ending a conversation or I'd be heading somewhere. He'd be like, hey, man, don't take it. Don't take any wooden nickels. Um, so don't don't let anyone sort of BS you or, you know. Um, and so I, I was like, why is he telling me this? And it seemed like like common sense and all that that I didn't need to be reminded of. But um I don't know. It was hilarious to me. A couple years later, you know, I was like seven or eight years old, or maybe younger, when he started saying that to me. And then, like a, a couple years later, a few years later, one time he was like, "Hey," and then he held out his hand, and there was a wooden nickel in it, <laughs> and it was it cracked me up, and I'll never, you know, forget that um, that idea. That's why I like that that quote. One of our earlier episodes was Dr. Garnett Hertz, and he talked about. Um, being able to CNC some materials. Maybe we can get them to make some wooden nickels and that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, number 14, what's your least favorite word, quote, or sentence? My least favorite? That's easy. Follow your passion. Mm. Um, I mean, that and um, because you can't figure out what that is. So it's not useful, I think. But uh, it's like you have to, you need more complex ways of thinking about what it is that you want to be doing and why. Um, but, and I have that conversation a lot in like the startup accelerators and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's more, it, it's more like there's a better approaches of like, what problem are you trying to solve or what do you, are you trying to become a zillionaire or do you just want financial comfort and what is, what do you consider to be financial comfort? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think uh, I, I, I got to think about that stuff early on, like with my grandfather, um, he was like, okay, so for the way it looks like you like to live your life, this is the amount of money that you need to make per year. And if you're with someone and you guys split that up, then this is how, you know, that could be achievable. So you don't have to drive yourself insane on kind of like 
uh, ocean's worth of uh, goals. But uh, so that's one, follow your passion. I'm not a fan of that one anymore. And um, uh, it's good to get started on thinking about those kind of things. But there's another one. I can't remember exactly how it's phrased. It's like um, it was in the wall in University of Maryland where I did the under, my undergrad. If you're, uh, I don't know, basically, if you can believe, if you believe in something, then you can achieve it. But um, there's really interesting. I also studied philosophy in that building, so there's really interesting questions about how, how really interesting questions about how to know whether you actually believe <laughs> something. Uh, so that kind of cancels itself out to me. I think. Um, anyway, we had a great episode with uh, a flight attendant named Sneha Ray, who um, talked a lot about spirituality and about um, maybe these kinds of questions, but in a in a nice subtle way. Um, for our listeners, you should really check that episode out. Um, number fifteen. If you had to just pick one word to describe yourself, what would you choose? I was going to say eclectic, but I think I'm going to change that and say creative. Mm, nice. Um, 16, what keeps you up at night? Creativity. My work. That's what, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, the problems I'm trying to solve, big or small, within a project or, like, new ideas that I have. Sometimes I wake up and write stuff down. At, or sometimes I wake up at 3 a.m. and start working because I can't let go of of what jumped into my head at that time um and i don't want it to uh, and i don't want it to go away you know i have a great idea um plus i'm on this like make my own schedule thing so if i get up at 3 a.m it's not really gonna you know it's not gonna matter much nice 17 what's a dream you're chasing dream uh well let me I think, um, I don't know if you'd call it a dream. I feel like it's a dream because like anything that you're, you just can't be sure. I think that 120 year thing, <laughs> I, I hope that I just, I wish for financial comfort on that journey. I would, I'd call that a dream. Mm. I just can't conceive of that number of years, you know, mm. and what I would be doing. Uh, mm. So to be healthy and stable in those phases, um, after the century mark is such a mystery to me. Um, so there's that, yeah, to have a, you know, a smooth sort of, I don't know, scenario or transition into those phases, but so that's one uh, in itself, but two, um, probably, probably to, um, to complete a feature film that, I, that I'm really, you know, happy with and that's produced like largely on my terms. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Final stretch. Uh, what inspires you? Um, uh, that, that's probably a different answer every day, um, every five minutes. Sometimes I see a color and I get inspired or, or it could be uh, something obvious, like one of the world's biggest problems. Um, it could be 
of film, the combination of sound and visuals, uh, it could be sound design in itself. Uh, I like the, the visceral response to kind of like different aesthetic uh, things that are that are happening. That, that that probably in the deepest way is what inspires me. But in an abstract way, it's not like you can't you can't attach like some kind of reason or agenda to it. It's just oh, I saw some inter interesting shapes, and then I got in a creative mood because of that, and that sent me down a rabbit hole on you know project. Nice. Number 19, any advice you'd like to share? Yeah, um, this would echo a little bit of the, the storyline that I, that I talked about earlier. Of I think I mentioned like what was going on with video cameras and YouTube and everything around 2006, 2008, um, You know, all the roles, and from the very beginning of this uh, full circle, all the roles that I have, I think those are roles that did not exist like when it was time that's how fast everything is moving when it was time for me to start thinking about what i want to do with my life those roles didn't actually exist yet so how would i ever know or be able to predict you know i would have and you know what i never did decide and say oh this thing is what i want to do um, but imagine if i did and then ruled out the things that i'm doing now um, so my advice would be like be aware that 10 years later you know, the world 10, 15, 20 years later, the world is going to be a different place. Um, and there'll be, you know, all sorts of opportunities you would have never have imagined. You would never have imagined, like, you know, these, uh, the particle accelerator scenario. <laughs> um, you know, what's happening at CERN in, in Switzerland. Uh, and, you, you know, when they turn that, that thing on and, you know, the, everything that happened around the Higgs boson. And then, you know, that spawned an artist residency there and all these other things could happen. And then, you know, arts and culture curator did not exist at Triumph until, you know, five years ago or something when I got, when I got there. Um, ISM arts and culture did not exist. The methodology that we used, that we used did not exist. Um, maybe ESL teaching to a degree, um, but the things that we're teaching at Emily Carr, those things didn't exist. Um, the, the things we're doing in the research lab there was with mixed reality, uh, and what I mean is, I, I mean, in some small way, yeah, they, they, they were being, they were manifested, but I mean, the roles of like what you could do with your life and your career um, and the paths you could take, that stuff didn't exist when it was time for me to be thinking about it. So, but no one told me to look ahead in that way. The only time I got a sense of it was when my dad, he was working on, he was, he was working on the Hubble telescope, he, the camera needed to be repaired or something. And he was helping put that thing together. Um, and around that time he was telling me like, and I was in you know elementary school or something like that. And he was like, yeah, so 20 years from now, we're gonna be able to uh, fly up into space and then fly back down. And you can be in Japan in a half an hour from here. He's like, but that's 20 years away. Like I almost didn't believe him. And he's like, that's 20 years away. But then at 20 years from now, it's going to be too expensive for us to do it, even though we could do it. And so we have to wait even longer. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, but, you know, that was the first, my first exposure and probably my only exposure to thinking in that way. But I wish that others were more proactive um, with letting me know that information. So that's, that's what I would uh, like to tell you today. 
Well, that's awesome. Um, number 20 is the one, the juicy one. How can our listeners keep tabs on you? How can we follow you or check out what you're doing? There's something called iscottm.com, which is a crystallized portfolio that now directs you to uh, ISM Arts and Culture. Um, and so you'll find it, so you can start at either spot, iscottm.com, or just as ISM will, uh, will tell you why you are being redirected to ISM Arts and Culture a little bit more, maybe a little more of the story. It's easier to show than tell, so some of the visuals are there, but ISM Arts and Culture is ism-ac.com. Um, lots going on there, but I like, personally, um, if you're looking to connect, LinkedIn is good for me these days. Well, that's great. Um, you know, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, you know, a lot of what you said, you know, really resonated with me, but, you know, talking about your grandfather's advice and how that kind of shaped your world, um, talking about the way you use a calendar, um, some of those kind of bizarre kind of creative um, um, thoughts were, I think, really fascinating for uh, for our listeners. And uh, I think it's uh, it's it's shaped up to be a really great episode. So thanks so much for coming on. Cool. Thank you very much, my friend. Okay, thanks. All right. If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more unique ways. Thank you.